Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. Well, we're on week number three of a series that we've called I Choose, and we've said that when life hands you choices to choose wisely, to choose better, because we said that our decisions matter. And one of the key thoughts that has pushed us in our series, uh, we'll put it up on the screen, says that we make decisions and our decisions make us. That we make a decision and then our decisions shape and form and mold us into who we are today. Now, if you don't like where you find yourself today, there's some good news. And that is that who you become, who I become tomorrow, five years, ten years from now, is determined by the decisions or the choices that we start to make today. C.S. Lewis said it this way, that you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and you can change the ending. How do we do that? Well, it doesn't happen by accident. We sow and reap our way there. It's one wise decision, one good choice at a time, and we sow and reap our way to the place where we want to find ourselves. Everyone ends up somewhere, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. And so typically, we're just carried away by the current of life, and we find ourselves in a destination. We know where we're at, but we're not sure how we got there. And so our goal is to end up somewhere, not by accident, but to end up somewhere on purpose. And that means we need some vision for our life. What do you want your life to look like in a year from now, five years from now? Better yet, what does God want your life to look like? What is God's purpose and plan for you and your life and your marriage and relationships and family, employment and finances? And There's a lot on the line, right? It's your life. It's my life. It's your story, your legacy. This is why we need wisdom to navigate the choices of life. We talked about wisdom last week. Solomon wrote more about wisdom than any other author, writer in the uh, Bible. And he says this in Proverbs 9. He says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, I told you last week that uh, today many people have uh, a real problem with this verse in our uh, feel-good-everyone-win society. No one likes this idea of the fear of the Lord, and so we've tried to rework it and remake it, and fear doesn't really mean fear. And I told you last week, no, it really means the fear of the Lord. And uh, this idea uh, of fear is something that I never really struggled with. Growing up, I had a healthy fear of my parents. I mean, one of the problems that we may get into with a younger generation now is that they're growing up without a healthy fear of anyone or of anything or of any type of authority. And so a, a, a healthy fear can be a positive in someone's life. When I stand before a judge, I have a healthy fear, not because they're evil, not because uh, they're mean, uh, but because they possess an authority that I do not possess. And so this idea of fear uh, is, isn't a bad thing. And so last week, we, we built a path from fear of the Lord to wisdom. Because you read that and you think, okay, well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, how does that work? And so we'll go over it quickly it's, because it's important. We said that a healthy fear of God means that we recognize who God is in relation to who we are, right? And so we put life in perspective. God is big, we are small. God is powerful, we are fragile. God is infinite, we are finite. God is the creator, we are the created. So a healthy fear of the Lord is recognizing who God is. And when we recognize 
who God is, all of his attributes, his character, his greatness, the result of that is a reverence or a respect or an awe, right? If God is so much bigger than we are, Isaiah 55 says his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. Once we recognize who God is, there's a reverence and there is a respect and there is an awe. And the practical side of reverence is submission, right? Because those who respect or revere God embrace God's right to rule over his creation. And why wouldn't we? He's so much, be, so much greater than we are, we simply recognize that God has the right or the authority to rule over what he's created, meaning we then submit, right? Submission, we submit to his authority. So catch this. Healthy fear of God means we recognize who God is. When we recognize who God is, there's a reverence and an awe of God. We submit to that because he's, why wouldn't we? And when we submit to God, it means that we gain a greater understanding because he's now leading my life. We gain a greater understanding of the world he created, and our expanded understanding results in an improved ability to choose wisely. And so Solomon says, look, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because it walks you through these steps and it leads you to submission. And when you're not leading your life, God begins to instruct you. And as we gain an understanding of the world he created, we can choose wisely. Now, today we're starting a new topic. And I'm going to warn you in advance that this message um, swims against most of American culture. Matter of fact, you're going to be tempted, I'm going to be tempted to dismiss the truth that we're going to read about in Scripture today simply because we're Americans, all right? So it's going, to be, it's going to be a challenge for us. But at some point, we're going to learn the truth that we're going to discuss today. We can either learn it the easy way or we can learn it the hard way. Let's pray as we jump in and see what God has for us today. Lord, we're going to open up your word. We're going to ask that you would speak to us. You would reveal your wisdom and your heart for us and your plan for us and reveal what is better for us. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit of God, to speak over us. Pray that you would encourage maybe some who find themselves in a position that they're not thrilled with, that you would encourage them that this is not the place that they have to rest for the rest of their life. This is not the end destination, but that they can move on and that you are willing to lead and impart wisdom. And so we pray for that. We pray for your wisdom. Pray for your grace. Pray for your presence. Even in our offering that we give out of a form of worship, it's a part of submission. We submit to you even in our finances. I know that's difficult in our culture. But we submit ourselves to you in all areas. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me start with this. We've been lied to. American culture has spoon-fed us a lie, and it tastes fantastic. And so we just keep eating it and shoveling it in the pie hole as much as possible because it just tastes that good. American culture tells us that if one is good, then two is always better. If one dollar is good, then two dollars is better. If one car is good, then two cars is better. If one television is good, then two televisions is better. If one wife is good, then... Oh, I ain't even touching that one now. Come on, I'm going stupid there. 
Right? In most cases, culture tells us that if a little bit is good, then a little bit more is always, always better, right? Culture tells us this. And maybe it's nothing new. Uh, after all, the original temptation was packaged in this lie, going all the way back to the beginning. Temptation came in the form of a lie that said, what you have is good, but there's a little more that will be better, right? Lured first creation to, uh, 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 to rebel against God. Why? Because what they had was good, but they believed a lie that if a little is good, then more is better. This idea that something out there is eluding us that we have to have more of. And so today we're going to ask some difficult questions. We're going to ask, is more always more? And is it possible uh, to have more but actually have less? And is there any time in life when less is actually more? So we're going to jump in. Here's a key thought that will push us forward. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and have more of what does. Now, the wisdom of Solomon speaks to us again today in our passage of Scripture. Here's what Solomon has to say. He says, better... Remember, when life hands you choices, choose wisely, choose better. Solomon says, here's better. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Listen to what wisdom is saying. Better is one handful with peace and with sleep and with margin and with room to breathe than to have two handfuls but be overwhelmed with stress and anxiety and chasing after something that you will never catch. Now, we could close in prayer right there, and that's a mouthful. But I know you'd miss me, so I'm going to keep going. So Jesus addressed this idea of acquiring more, and he was rather forceful about it. It's the beginning of Luke chapter 12. Luke begins to tell us that uh, the crowds of people are gathering and they're pressing in. Matter of fact, it, make, make, it draws a point, makes a point to say that the people are actually trampling one another. So I want you to picture the scene. It's good when we read the Gospels, especially picture what was going on. People are gathering around. Wherever Jesus went, he drew large crowds of people. Right? No one ever dropped this kind of wisdom and uh, uh, claimed to be God in the fe- flesh or uh, possess the power over life and death. And so people are crowding around, they're beginning to trample one another because Jesus is teaching them like no other person has ever taught. Matter of fact, he just got done casting out a demon. Uh, He was now challenging the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. And uh, someone interrupts his teaching and he asks uh, a question that, you know, kind of turns out to be uh, pretty pretty odd. And here's, here's what they say in Luke 12, 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Have you ever been in a room when someone asked a question so out of place that the room goes dead? And there's that uncomfortable silence like, what's wrong with this guy, right? So here's Jesus, right? Cast out a demon, confronting the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. He's talking about matters of life and death. And someone raises his hand and says, "Um, Jesus, can you tell my brother to share? And it somewhat annoyed Jesus. We don't catch it all in text. We have to kind of read between the lines. Remember, Luke records this for us. In verse 14, Jesus says, Man, who appointed me judge and arbiter between you? 
You can almost hear Jesus saying, in light of everything that you just heard, in light of everything that I claim to be, in light of all of this, the one thing, the one question that you want to ask God in the flesh is to tell your brother to play nice. And then Jesus goes on with his teaching, but he doesn't address freak guy over here or ask the question. He goes back and he addresses the crowd, but he kind of uses him as an example. Now look what he says, verse 15. Then he said to them, he's addressing the crowd, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. So Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, you see this guy over here? This is what, between the lines, you see this guy over here? Do you want to know why he asked such an odd question at such an inappropriate time? And here's what he tells us. He says, because greed has a way of influencing your perception of what really matters in life. He says, hey, everybody, I know you're all thinking it, like weird question right now, but greed has a way of influencing what you value and what is the most important in life. I mean, Jesus is rather brilliant here, right? Regardless of what you think about him, if, you, if you're struggling with, you know, the, the, it, whether he's God and you're having faith struggles, you got to at least read some of what, what he said and think, that's, that's brilliant. And so here is Jesus speaking into the human condition that we all struggle with, right? As creator, he knows our propensity to hoard. He knows our desire to acquire And so Jesus tells us, listen, stay alert, because if you're not diligent, greed will take hold of your heart and will lead you down a pursuit that you can never satisfy because you will always, always want more. See, one day we're going to learn it. And we can learn it early in life, maybe we learn it midlife, or some are going to learn it at the end of life, that more isn't always more. So listen to the wisdom of Solomon again. Better, when life hands you choices, choose wisely, choose better. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the sun. And I know culture doesn't tell us this, but less can actually be more. So I want us to take some time and kind of give some ideas of what one handful living, right? Better is one handful than two. Uh, and try to kind of break this down and give us some ideas. Here's, here's where we can start. Start with this. Define what matters. And I know that's so generic, but, but there's some truth here, and I'm going to give you an exercise to, to work through. Uh, as a pastor, I have uh, spent a considerable amount of time with end-of-life care, uh, with people who are passing from one life to the next. I've sat with them as they've taken uh, their last breath. And though dead men tell no tales, the insights they discover in their final days can be rather profound. There's an exercise, I debated whether or not to drop this on you because some of you are going to think it's too morbid, but uh, there's there's some benefit, I think, and it's, it's called the deathbed exercise, and it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, The idea is Uh, to try to bring clarity, because death has a way of bringing clarity to what matters, right? It pushes aside the frivolous, and you become crystal clear on what really matters in life. And so the idea is, is that you picture yourself, you're on your deathbed, and you are now reflecting on your life. And then you're encouraged to ask some questions. 
What in life brought you the most joy? What are you most proud of? What is your deepest regret? Did you give yourself to a cause bigger than yourself? And then they say, ask yourself, who did you gather around your bedside? And what will you say to each person? See, I'm guessing that when, if, if you have done or doing this exercise right now, that the answer to your question of what brought you the most joy in life wasn't your 65-inch TV. And I'm guessing the answer to uh, the question, what are you most proud of, uh, wasn't the fresh coat of wax that you, st- that you kept on your car. The idea is that it will bring clarity to what matters in life. Now, it helps you define what matters, but here's the payoff. Then ask yourself, is my lifestyle reflecting my definition? All right, end of life, you're reflecting, you say, okay, honestly, yeah, this is what's most important. Right? When people die, they're asking for the people most important to them to gather around their bedside. No one's saying, bring me my shoes collection. No one's asking for their parley, right? right? Death has a way of clarifying what matters. And so you, ident- you define clearly what matters, and then you ask the difficult question, is my lifestyle reflecting my definition? And if your answer is no, it's a good indicator that at the end of life, when it really happens, you're going to have some regret. The good news is, is that your final chapter has not been written, and there's time to gather and to define and then have a lifestyle match that definition. One handful of living starts with define what matters. Here's another one. Invest in who over what. Now, who uh, are the people in your life, and what is the stuff in your life, and who always trumps what. Now, we learned this early on in life. At some point in grade school, you became concerned, I became concerned with the who that we wanted to fit in with, right? There was always that group that we we wanted to be in with that group. And so we became concerned with uh, fitting in with the right who. So at some point, if you're like me, you wanted better what, could be clothes, shoes, name brand, which we didn't have, uh, you know, gadgets, a car, whatever. You wanted better what, but the reason you wanted better what is because you thought it would get you in with a better who. Remember that? Now, your wisdom, my wisdom, and who we chose as the better who, that was lacking, and there's problems in the example, I get it. But instinctively, we knew that who matters more than what. And the reason you wanted better or more what is because you thought it would get you in with a better who. Instinctively, we knew that who matters more than what. But somehow, somewhere in adulthood, we flipped it. And now as adults, we may not say it, but we believe it based on our lifestyle that that we believe that more what is going to bring happiness and fulfillment in life. And so we keep buying more what? More stuff to try to be fulfilled. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I don't buy it. All right? I know some of you are thinking, if I had better what, better stuff, I'd be happy. And if I had more what, 
I'd be happy. Matter of fact, if I had more what, I wouldn't even need this who. I think you just leave, right? Now, so let me walk you through a little exercise here. Uh, let, let me prove to you that who matters more than what. I want you to picture yourself on your dream vacation, whatever it might be. Cost is no expense. Length of time is no expense. The church is going to pay for it, right? And so, yeah, Radiant won't give you that, all right? I'm telling you. And so the church, the church is going to, I'm just joking if you're new with us, but they won't. No. So picture your dream vacation, whatever it looks like, whatever that looks like for you, and Reveal is going to send you on that dream vacation tomorrow. You need to go pack your bags. Now, you're like, Pastor, I'm telling you, I'm pro- you're proving my point. You gave me more what, and now I'm happy. Here's the catch. Now I want you to picture your least favorite who in the entire world. I don't want to say the person you hate because the Bible speaks very clearly about that, but let's just say it's that person that whenever you see them, they literally make you sick. Maybe somebody in your life, maybe someone on TV, maybe it's a politician, I don't know who that person is for you, but, but, but whenever you see that person, you're like, I just want to punch them. Now, you got that person? Hopefully it's not me, all right, but hopefully it's somebody. Now. Your all-expense-paid vacation, your ideal what that you just got that made you happy, will be spent 24 hours a day, without exception, with your least favorite who in the world. Here's what I can guarantee you. You will be miserable. Because who matters more than what? You can be in the car of your dreams, but if your ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, ex-spouse is in the seat next to you, you're miserable, right? Because who matters more than what? And instinctively, we get it. We understand, I think, because our creator, God created us like that, and yet, but somehow we've convinced ourselves that more what is what we need in order to be fulfilled, in order to find happiness, and so we go through life two handfuls because more what is going to make us happy. But you can walk through Walmart with the right who, and you can split a hot dog at Home Depot with the right who, and you can go home and watch reruns on a 19-inch black and white television. And if you're with the right who, you climb into bed that night and say, this was a good day. Because you know it. Who always trumps what? And yet somehow we've, we've, we've missed it in a culture that tells us two-hand living, two-handful living is the way to go. I've been involved with a lot of end-of-life care, and in those moments, man, life always, always, when people are reflecting, always has to do more with who than a what. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and to have more of what does invest in who over all right, so define what matters. Invest in who over what. Here's our third one. One handful of living. Cut back. Now, what you're going to cut back on, that may change for each person, but I think there's two areas that the majority of us can cut back on, and the first one is this idea of spending. Have you ever been so caught up in the excitement of a purchase that you stretched yourself to make it happen? You ever gone to a car dealership thinking, I'm just getting a basic utilitarian vehicle to get me to point A to point B, 
And maybe it's the showroom lights or maybe it's the new car smell, but you're driving off with the upgraded convenience package, leather seats, 12-speaker stereo, and little wipers on your headlights. Never have I said, I wish my headlights had wiper blades. But when I'm in the showroom, suddenly it makes perfect sense. I'm, 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 I'm doing a disservice to my family cutting down my night vision because my headlights don't have wipers. Right? It makes perfect sense. I had a friend who got uh, heated seats in their car, and I remember thinking, this is the biggest waste of money ever. But I went down to Camelback Volkswagen, and I picked out a Jetta for myself, and suddenly heated seats in Phoenix made perfect sense. I said, who has heated seats in their car? Come on. Yeah. They're glorious? You got bigger issues than that. <laughs> I said, I want to ride with you. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we, we stretch ourselves, or, or maybe for you, maybe uh, you're, you're leaving a 1,600-square-foot home, and you got a couple more kids, and you really do need more space. You maximize what you had. And so you say, listen, 2,200 square feet, that's what we need. If we could just a little bit more space, is going to make us comfortable, and you can afford 2,200 square feet. And so you go out, and you're sure, 22, 2,300 square feet, that's where you need to be at, 23, 2,500 square feet. That's just where it stops. And then you walk into the 3,100 square foot model. And suddenly it makes perfect sense to have a sink in the butler's pantry, which is nine feet away from the sink in the kitchen, and you don't even have a butler. <laughs> and so we stretch, listen, I've done it, we've all, we stretch ourselves, and we've worked it out in our head how we're going to make it happen, or we're just not going to feed the kids as much, and so we worked it out in our head, and we stretch because more stuff, the what is going to somehow bring a fulfillment to our life. And then here's what happens. And I've been there, and so have you. Six months in, you're laying in bed at night, wondering how you're going to pay for that car with the wiper blades. And you're stressed over it. And you start to pay one bill and put another bill on hold. And, you know, you can't send in checks anymore without signatures, so that one's out, you know. And, 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 and so we start to juggle. And I've been there. You've been there. We start to juggle because we stretched ourselves, right? Be, because we won't cut back on our spending. And then suddenly you're at odds with your spouse. Number one reason for divorce, financial stress and difficulties. And you're at odds with your spouse because you're both in a bad mood because there's no money. And you're yelling at your spouse because they just... They just bought frivolous things at the grocery store like name brand deodorant. You're like, what are you doing? And we've stretched ourselves. And you know that feeling and how miserable that feeling is when you don't have enough money to pay the bills. And yet we still do it all the time. That's why Apple can offer a $1,000 phone. And we're going to buy it. I got it right here. You want to see it? No, I'm joking. (laughs) Right? Because somehow we believe that more what is what's going to do it for us. So here's here's one, one handful living, right, is to cut back. Listen to the wisdom of Solomon again. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Life hands you choices. Choose wisely. Better to have less, one handful, but to have peace of mind, 
than to have more and live with anxiety and worry. Better is one handful with the freedom to breathe than two handfuls with a financial noose around your neck. Better is one handful with money left over than two handfuls and fighting with your spouse. Better is less with peaceful sleep than more with tossing and turning. And you know this. And I know, and if you're young, you need to learn this. Because you can avoid all kinds of self-inflicted wounds because it is possible to have more, but not have more. Second area that I think we can all cut back in is this idea of schedules. Perhaps it's time to get prayerfully and very aggressive uh, on our cutting back on our schedules, right? Because sometimes our schedules emotionally, mentally, spiritually, they're destroying us. And it's not difficult to see. Ask most people how you're doing, and the reply you're going to get at some point is, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm tired. Tired and I'm busy. When's the last time you asked someone how you're doing, and they're like, I'm relaxed. I'm just at peace, man. If you're hanging out with Snoop Dogg, maybe. But other than that, that's not your answer, right? Because we put ourselves where my schedule is crazy and pulled in every direction. I have no time for myself. I have no time for my spouse. I have no time in my pursuit of God because my schedule is crazy. Listen to Solomon again. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after one. Better is a schedule in one hand that allows for personal time and time with your family and margin and tranquility than a schedule that fills up two hands but brings chaos and unrest. Now, let me just speak to the parents. We're getting ready to close here. i got one more point. Speak to the parents. I know we all want to be good parents. I have three children, and that means that we want to give them the things that we never had. And so we enroll them in every activity possible, right? There's soccer and swim and dancing and hang gliding and extreme dog grooming and ironing, <laughs> extreme ironing. There actually is extreme ironing, weird. Uh, and so we, 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 we get them involved in everything. And meanwhile, the schedule is killing the family. And it's killing, possibly, your marriage. And I know we want to give our kids the best, but let me give you some wisdom. The best that we can give our children is a mom or dad at their best. And if the schedule is killing you, you're not giving, we are not giving our children ultimately what they need. And so sometimes, and we've had to do this, sometimes we just had to say, there's no sports this year. Or there's nothing going on for six months because we, we need to recoup and, and, and you know, cut back here a little bit. Here's the last one. Throw it out. Okay, so you, 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 can, you can define what matters, you can invest in who uh, over what, uh, you can cut back, and then you can throw out, meaning that you clean the clutter. I'm going to tell you this because I love you and no one else will. Those jeans in your closet from 2008, you're never going to fit in them again. There. I've been hanging on to a pair of 34 Levi's. Yeah, it's just time. Right? I'll never see fit into 501s again. Button fly, whatever. You go from 501 to 505, then you're at like 5,070. I don't know what that is. That's like just a piece of denim on a skirt or something like that, right? 
hey, sometimes we just need to throw stuff out. Because you know, we got all these kitchen appliances and it's shoved in cabinets, we don't even know what they do anymore. And so we fill a cabinet, we move it to a closet, we fill a closet, we move it to the garage, and the garage is full, we pay someone else to use their garage. It's called a storage unit. <laughs> and maybe, maybe the wisdom of God speaks into us to say, hey, you will be better off if you live with one handful instead of trying two. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to fight for what matters. And Nehemiah is a character in the Old Testament, and he was given the task to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. It's been uh, and torn down. The city's been in ruin. And, and so he's been given the task, but there are enemies and opposition. And the, the people, his own people, they'd kind of given up on this whole idea of rebuilding the wall. And so he had to rally support. And in a speech that he gave to them, he, 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 he issued this challenge. He told them, listen, you need to fight for what matters. And he says, fight for your brothers and fight for your sons and fight for your daughters and fight for your wives and fight for your homes and fight for your country because if you don't, you will lose everything that matters. And if we do not fight for what matters, at the end of life, I'm telling you, you don't want to be on your deathbed and say, I forfeited everything that ultimately matters. The good news is our stories aren't finished. And we can start today choosing better, choosing wisely, having our lifestyle reflect what we say that is most important and start to move forward in that. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Better is one handful and good relationships. Better is one handful and a good marriage. Better is one handful uh, and children who get to see mom and dad. Better is one handful with faithful friends. And better is one handful with ability to pursue God. Better is one handful with margin. Better is one handful with love than to have two handfuls but to have toil and stress and panic and greed and chasing after something that will never satisfy you because you will always, always want more. Stand with me. So here's our challenge. James 1.22 tells us to not just be doers of the word, but to actually apply the word to our lives. And so when you walk out those doors, we all have a choice. We're going to listen to it and say, hey, some funny moments, that was great. Some of us will listen to it and say, yeah, we need to make changes, and you're going to get out that door, and you're going to be like, yeah, what did he say? And then there's going to be some who are going to apply the wisdom of God, and it will be life-changing, right? When you submit and God leads, it means that he begins to teach us, and what hopefully he's teaching us right now is more is not always more. And you can have less and have more. Pray with me. Lord, it's a difficult topic uh, in our culture. And I pray that you would reset our thinking and reset our mind, reset what we value, that we may begin to live the wisdom of God and the truth of God and apply it to our lives. 
And so help us to implement what we've just learned. Give us the grace to step into a better future that you have for us. And so we're going to surrender ourselves in every area of life that we may pursue you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.